Today I'm doing something I have not done before. I'm going to be sharing in today's podcast about my journey, how I came to be here as a spiritual business mentor and visionary intuitive. And also, this is going to be a much more candid share than I normally do, in part because I'm exploring a new way of sharing within my podcasts and to my audience, and in part because I really think it's time for me to share with everybody, since I have many new subscribers and would really like to introduce myself in a more natural and comfortable way. So nothing formal or structured. It's going to be more of a storytelling format. And let's just go ahead and dive in. Welcome to You Are The Dream, the podcast that's a candid exploration of what it is to live a life of joy and ease as an intuitive woman growing her business, following her soul, and expressing her highest potential. Because you are the dream you are bringing to life. I am your host, spiritual business mentor, and intuitive visionary, Judith Manriquez. Now back to the show. So today, I call myself a spiritual business mentor and a visionary intuitive. And I might spend a little bit of time talking about that later on in the podcast. But where I came from was not where I am today. This has not been my path. It's taken me a long time to get to the place where I can say that comfortably and say that this is how I would title myself. For a long time, I didn't title myself at all. I allowed other people to title me in a way that made sense for them because there really wasn't a comfortable title or something that people related to. And I found that the more I wanted to find something that fit and that other people could understand, the more I short-circuited myself. So that's what I say today, spiritual business mentor, visionary intuitive. Where I come from is someplace else entirely. (laughs) I believed from the time I was a little girl that I wanted to be president. And I don't know where the idea came from exactly, but I was listening to NPR because that often played around the table for breakfast and was listening to this exchange going on in the news. And I can't even remember what the episode was, but I remember listening to the difficult choices people were making, thinking to myself, oh, those are really easy. If only people would do this and these people would do this and everybody agreed to get along, then everything would be awesome. I was like, oh, I could do that. And so for many years, all the way through high school, I thought, oh, I want to be president. And I ended up, I grew up in El Paso and I had really not ever left El Paso until I went to college and I moved from El Paso to Georgetown, Texas, which is in Central Texas, north of Austin. And that was an eye-opening experience for a girl who was raised on the border in a very Mexican-American family. I went to a liberal arts school and learned what it was to be homesick, but also learned what it was to be a minority in a predominantly white environment. And I didn't recognize it as recognize anything there as racism, but it was isolated. So it was a a really good experience. And, And I share that to say this is a part of my makeup that is just naturally who I am. And I don't often speak about 
being Mexican-American, I don't often speak about that part of it because it just is who I am. I don't distinguish it. And I often don't experience racism directly. This is something that will be very, very quiet and behind the scenes. And I don't encounter it so much in my life. Again, it doesn't happen directly. But it is a piece of life and it is something I'm sensitive to as I do work and as I work with women. I have learned over the course of the work that I've done the types of ways that we as women, especially women in business or women who are in some form of leadership, the way we were acculturated to diminish ourselves as a function of our race and our upbringing. And there's certain things that are uniquely... (laughs) specifically part of the Hispanic culture about the way we make ourselves small. And that has been an interesting journey as I've moved along and learning how my family is really just a mirror of many other families and how they don't intentionally diminish, but they certainly do as a part of the culture. It's sort of baked in. But when I left El Paso, I thought, oh, hey, I am going to get a business degree. And I chose a business degree at a liberal arts school because business seemed fun and natural to me. And I did. I spent four years in a really wonderful place, had a great experience. And when I graduated, I was like every other person who was graduating. We had no idea what we were going to do. And the economy was not the greatest. And I ended up working at a nonprofit because I'm naturally service oriented. And nowadays I can explain where that comes from. Back then I couldn't. I am highly empathic and did not have the language for that. I just knew that I wanted to be helpful. I couldn't do work that didn't have some sort of component of heart. I worked at a nonprofit and learned within three months that this was not going to work for me as much as I wanted to help. The executive director of that nonprofit was really happy to have me sit at a desk all day and do nothing. And it was a federally funded project. And I just thought, my God, this is such a waste of money. And this is just, I couldn't stand it. I decided I need to get an advanced degree because I don't ever want to work in a situation like this. And I don't ever want to be in a situation where I can't have some impact when there's a misuse of funds. So there was already my crusader self showing up and I, I have, that was not the first time. <laughs> so I, I decided, okay, I can be a city manager and decided to interview some city managers and figure out how they got to be there and ended up at the LBJ school in Austin. This was in, very intentional. I wanted a degree because I wanted to not have to be stuck in a workplace that did not value me and that was not doing good things. I thought this was the best approach. And I had a a good experience at that program and proceeded when I graduated to, by the time I graduated, I actually worked for a major state agency in health and human services and then went on to work for the mayor. And I worked for a short time with the mayor and realized pretty quickly that I was not cut out for politics. I could not do the kind of work that was required for politics, which is not very different than it is now. So there is a bit of saying what needed to be said to please all the parties and never taking any sort of strong position to direct an agenda because then you might not get elected and I could not stomach it. (laughs) Again, this was a real eye-opening experience and I learned pretty quickly 
that no, I probably would never be president because I cannot be in a situation where there isn't a, a really deep integrity. And again, these are experiences when I look back on them that are very reflective of who I have become today. And at that time, I could not have given you the words I can give you now, which is if I was not in alignment with my values, my principles, and my sense of justice and goodness in the world, I was not willing to stay at a job. And I wasn't willing to do it to make money and it didn't matter if I didn't have any savings. (laughs) I would just leave. I left that and then proceeded to work for another nonprofit for a short period of time and again loved doing that. It was it was related to literacy. And at that time I began to volunteer in nonprofits and went from that position to a small private company that had that was doing community affairs and public affairs. And that was that was the longest place I had ever worked. I stayed five years with that company, and I often felt like an unusual person there because I was constantly talking about how companies could do good for the world by doing community service or organizing corporate-level programs where their employees could give back and participate and give parts of themselves, like give service to others who needed it. And it was something that was beginning to be done back when I was doing this in the late 1990s, but it wasn't as prevalent as it is now. It was kind of like really on the edge. And a lot of the people I spoke to within the company sort of placated me. I thought, okay, whatever, we'll do this because it benefits the corporation. But ultimately, there wasn't this attachment to service. So a lot of the ways that I can look back and see these things kind of building little, like almost like tinker toy blocks on top of each other of these were pieces that began to inform who I was and started to show up in the work that I did. I ultimately left that company because it was time for me to leave and had moved on and I had recently gotten married and started to participate in the company that I was supporting through two other partners. So my spouse and another partner, and we all formed a graphic design company at that time. And this was in the late, late 1990s, like 97, 98. And we jumped in with two feet into graphic design, branding, marketing, and web development. Web development was starting to be really hot back then. Kind of weird to say that these days, but it was pretty new. People didn't understand websites. Very, I mean, email marketing was just getting, email period, not even marketing, email was just getting going. blogging was getting started. No one really understood what you did with a website. Wasn't it basically like a print brochure? We did everything. We did all kinds of communications at that time. And we grew from the three of us to a staff of 12 with a couple of employees. And an interesting story about that is that many, many years later, I was doing just service work. Whenever I encounter somebody who needs help with their business, I had a tendency to do this in service in part because I was on a journey to discover what my new work was. And I 
again, don't often talk about myself and I don't talk about the stories of my business, but this particular person was working with me and at some point she had an opportunity to refer somebody who was a successful business person and she was telling me about it and I looked at her and I'm like, why didn't you recommend me? And she's like, oh, well, because I didn't think you had the experience. And I looked at her and was like, I ran a business for a decade. It was nearly a million dollar business. We had 12 employees. We got, you know, small business of the year from our community. I mean, like we had all of these accolades and it never occurs to me to share these as testaments to accomplishment because it, these really weren't important metrics to me. What was more important to me is the work that we did, the way that we did our work. We were a small company paying 100% of family medical insurance. We offered pretty much unlimited vacation. You could arrange it as you needed. People had flexibility with their schedules. They did not have to come into the office all the time, although they did because it was more of the practice then and the technology, we had the computers there that were like high top notch. And these were things not being done with small, tiny companies at that time. And to me, that was what was important to me. The, the fact that we were bringing in a revenue of really, I think when at the peak of our time, we were like close to 900,000, so pretty close to to a million dollars. And so there's, a, again, a statement of my values. The company that we were running, one of the reasons that we were doing this was because we wanted to create a kind, the kind of company that we had wished we could work at. And we did. We did some spectacular work in web development. We did some gaming work. This was all around, right around when the dot-com was really a big deal when companies were being developed and invented just like overnight especially in the Austin area this was a really big deal and that company ended up closing down in 2008 and by that time I was on my third child unexpected third child gift from the universe and in 2008 you'll remember there was a recession by that time what was really cool is that I already knew that it was time for me to transition, but I had no idea what I was transitioning to. Marketing was easy for me. Running teams was awesome, fun, did it well. Running all of the components of a business was something that I excelled at. So operations, pricing, invoicing, proposals, engaging with the customers, building out infrastructures internally to support hundreds and hundreds of different projects easy and fun to do for me. These were all things that I excelled at. And yet, when that company closed, I was not satisfied. There wasn't enough of a challenge for me. And I kept feeling an urge to go someplace. Like I didn't know what the next thing was. And I even began to question myself, like, did I take the right path? Should I have done some other kind of work in college, like social work or something? Should I have gone down that path? I mean, there was a lot of questioning for myself at that time. And this would have been about 2008. And what I ended up doing was moving on and, and keeping some of my clients at that time that were marketing clients and began to explore what could possibly be next. And that was, again, another lengthy journey of discovery. I really can look back on it and say that was sort of the dark night of the soul, right? That was the time when I didn't know what I was doing. I had three children. It was really stressful. We had 
a very stressful situation with the economy because the economy had pretty much crunched down and collapsed in Texas. And we had purchased a large historical building that was also vacant. So we experienced incredible financial stresses at that time. I can tell you that there is probably nothing about financial crisis that I'm not familiar with at all kinds of levels, from dealing with near bankruptcy in our own family, but also dealing with bankruptcy around the tenants in our building and dealing with other properties, like we had another rental property where we were dealing with different kinds of things with tenants. So I've had a pretty varied background in terms of experiences. And during that time, I was doing marketing work some web development and and programming and started to do work with in a one-on-one capacity with different people and it was more exploratory and experimental because for me business had always been intuitive and I would not have used the word back then I can now say it was very intuitive I would meet somebody and I would know exactly what they needed to execute and how to roll it out for them and it and it, if they, if two people of the same entire design, like if they both had the same kind of business with the same kind of needs, I could tell you the difference between which one needed to do what and why it would be different for each one, even though they were identical in terms of all of the circumstances that they presented with. And I still am able to do that today. Everybody has a different presentation for how they can present themselves into the world for their company regardless of whether or not you look just like some other business. it You aren't. It never is true. But just doing business, marketing at the time was not working. And what I found as I went through life, just figuring things out as I went, as I became more aware of intuition, as I went more into the dark night of soul journey, which really was like the dark night journey. It wasn't a night. It went on and on. Um, I discovered that my interests were working with people who wanted to create a new way. I wanted to, I worked with people who were innovative or creative or were looking for ways to do things that were different from the norm. I looked for people who were in service of some kind. And then this one found me. I didn't go looking for it. I realized when I looked around that the number of women around me who were doing some form of intuitive, metaphysical, mystical, esoteric, spiritual work was profound. I had many people around me that were highly intuitive and either knew they were and used the words, whether they were claircognizant or clairvoyant or whatever, or who were highly intuitive and were very sensitive, but didn't actually see themselves as an intuitive or a practitioner, but they knew that they had to follow the feelings, the senses they had. And that's how my work has evolved to today. These are still the same people I'm drawn to and who are drawn to me. And my work has been evolving in that area because it's important to me to work with the women who are intuitive and who are spiritual and who are following their soul and have something of the language in there around this because I'm noticing how these women are actually 
holding the energy of transformation for the planet, both as a collectively for the planet, but for the people who need to make change or are seeking change. And, and so it is me being in service to them as they're in service to others. This feeds a lot of my heart about wanting to do service work which is awesome. It gives me the diversity of all of the different kinds of things I like to do. And it's marrying two components. It's marrying for me this element of intuition, inner work, self-awareness, personal responsibility, consciousness with business, which tends to historically be very good old boys, conservative, old-fashioned, traditional. And I don't think it has to be. And I love that what's happened is that I'm working now with women who are changing the world in the work that they do, and they're changing the world in the way they express their work through their business. That's amazing. And that is why I call myself a spiritual business mentor, because I don't do business as business is normally done. And it's very important that the spiritual, energetic, intuitive aspect of a human, of a person, is reflected through their business. And I call it mentoring because it isn't really coaching. To me, coaches have spent years getting certified and they have learned how to be present and ask the right questions of anyone to help them self-reflect and find their own answers. That's how I understand coaching. And I am also a consultant. I'm not a coach per se, because I'm not trained as a coach, but I am a consultant in that I have a wealth of experience in business and can consult you on marketing strategy, tech, operations, whatever it is, which means I can take a look at where your business is and then I can tell you what to do if you want to be told. So that's a consultant, but I'm not leading with consultant because that's not the core of my gift. I lead with mentor because a mentor means to me that you have someone who has experience in the path that you're walking and will walk with you on that path and give you guidance. And that is what I do when I work with the people that I work with. That's what it means to be a spiritual business mentor. I will walk with you on the spiritual side and I will walk with you on the business side and I will give you guidance so that you can grow yourself. And the fact that I can articulate that with ease now is only a byproduct of being really confused for a very long time (laughs) about what to say. It did not mean that I was not clear about what I did. I could still be very good at what I did, but I could not articulate it as well as I can now. Now, the second part of what I say that I do is that I'm a visionary intuitive. And this is a developing aspect for me because I'm claircognizant. That means that I know what I know without knowing how I know it. And that all by itself, the development and growth for myself coming to understand that has been a long journey. First of all, coming to understand that I'm intuitive was an empathic were also, that was also a journey as I met people who looked at me and told me because they were highly intuitive that I'm highly intuitive. I just was, I'd laugh and I'd be like, yeah, okay, sure. But I am highly intuitive and I can tell the difference between my thoughts and my knowing. And what I've 
discovered about my knowing and what is developing for me, this has not always been true, but that this knowing that I have exists when I work with other people and it is it is activated when I work with other people so that as somebody else poses a question, the knowing answers arrive. And in addition to that, I say visionary because part of what I see is a vision for that person, but I can also see that vision for a collective, for the planet. And and I say see, it's more perceived because I do not, I'm not, I do not have seeing. One of my clear senses is not actually seeing in, in that way. But what is really powerful about having this component of vision or visionariness is that when someone can see the vision you have, just the seeing of it and believing it helps create it. There is so much power in that. And it's not just something I can do. You can do it. Anyone can do it. You can see the dream someone holds and believe in it without question for that person. And that will help that person achieve their vision. There is so much power in that. That is biblical genesis and the, you know, word became manifest. Okay. That is literally why I call myself a visionary intuitive. So I wanted to close with a little bit of a story about superheroes. I really love the Marvel movies, all of them. I love all kinds of superhero movies. But in the Marvel movies, I'm going to use two of them, there's Captain Marvel and Spider-Man. And in both of these stories, you have main characters who become powerful. They develop superpowers and they use them for good and what I'm always fascinated with is the storyline where like Captain Marvel develops these skills and seems to naturally take to them like their second nature to her we see a little bit more in Spider-Man where he's like oh wow and he's really he's very excited about what he can do in terms of like walking on walls and being really strong and jumping and leaping on buildings. He goes through a little bit more of the journey of having a superpower and trying to work it out and figure out how to integrate it with his life. But don't you ever wonder as, as your intuition evolves, and this has been true for me, as your intuition evolves, how to own it as a superpower for yourself and to recognize that you have a capacity that is helpful to yourself and to everyone else, but you see the world differently. You're walking in the world a little bit differently than everyone else, but so is everyone else. Everyone has spider senses, you know, like they've got spidey senses or superpowers. And for me, I have felt a little bit, a lot of that actually, as I've walked the path in my life of becoming more and more comfortable with the way that I see the world and the way that I perceive the world and the way my intuition works. I really wish sometimes that it was just as easy as Captain Marvel, you know, when she's flying, like she's falling in the sky, she closes her eyes and she lights up and suddenly she flies. It's like, woo, she figured it out. She's all on it. She's owning her power. That is a journey. I don't care who you are. It has been a journey. It has definitely been a journey for me and I would love to hear if it's been a journey for you. 
So I am getting ready to begin to share with you my new program over the next few weeks and I'm currently thinking about how I want to invite people in to experience their own superpowers and how to support you in your business growth. So I would love to hear from you. What is it that you need help with? What is going on for you that would be helpful? Because again, I don't do things normally, quote unquote, in the traditional format. I have a lot of creative ideas about what I'd like to try out in this process of invitation and exploration into my program. And it's gonna be a big new program. I'm pretty excited about it. And it is going to be for all the people I talk about in relationship to who I am. So my work is still with women who are intuitive, who are growing their business, and it can be in all kinds of stages of growth. So I hope it's been helpful. I've really enjoyed sharing with you today. I would love to hear what you think about this particular podcast. This is really, really different for me to share, but it's a real true life story. I I sat myself down in my closet, which is where I record because it gets you better sound and imagine that we were kind of sat down at the couch and had a chat. The only part that's missing was your side. And so now it's your turn to share your parts. Please feel free to share in the comments on my Substack, which was where my podcast shows up or find me on Instagram. Thanks so much for joining me.